All right. Good morning, church. It's great to see you. If you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is where we're going to be reading from, chapter 4, this morning. Um, If you'll turn there, and while you turn there, uh, let me just say a couple things. Um, One, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, If you're a guest with us in the room, we're so glad that you're here. If you're visiting uh, family, um, we're so glad that you joined us. And as Marley mentioned, I just want to make mention of a couple things. Um, If you're a guest, um, there should be a response card located somewhere near your seat. Uh, we'd love for you to fill this out. We're not going to add you to an email thread or list or anything like that, um, but I'd love to reach out um, as the pastor at this church and call you and get to know you and hear how we might be able to serve you and what the Lord is doing in your life. And um, the buckets just came by, but there's also black boxes that you can drop this in on your way out if you want to fill one of those out during the service. And uh, if you're a family um, with children and you haven't picked one of these up, um, our church purchased these for you. This is a great Advent devotional we'd love for you to jump into. I gave it a longer plug last week, um, but um, the content in this is phenomenal, especially for uh, elementary school and some middle school students. Uh, We'd love for you to grab one of these. There's a book of crafts that go along with it out at the table in the lobby. Um, Don't take that one. It's green, but you can look through it if you want. Um, But grab one of these on your way out. They're free. We just ask that you get one per family, and uh, that way everybody else can get some. If you get out there and there happen to be empty, let us know, and uh, we'll order you another one. But grab one of those. And then for the rest of us, for our middle school, high school adults, um, we have a QR code um, that was also mentioned to get one of these, um, the digital copy of this. This is Good News of Great Joy by John Piper. And selfishly, I said this last week, I can't make you do this, but I would love if our church would commit to reading this together. Um, starting on December the 1st. So you've still got a couple days if you want to order the hard copy. Um, But I would love for our church to uh, read this together as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas Eve and uh, Christ coming together. Um, So please take advantage of this QR code, get you a free download of it um, on Kindle or just a PDF so you can add to some of your devices. Um, But it's just a great daily devotional um, written by John Piper that I would love for us to uh, walk through. So, I think I got all of those things um, done once again. Um, We've been in a series um, on the church. Um, We've entitled it The Church uh, with the tagline, The Gospel Made Visible. And um, we have been looking at scripture to define what the church is, um, that it is a people, it's not a place. We've talked about that it's universal and local and all of the beauties of that reality, um, how the church is supposed to function, what are the biblical purposes of the church um, in our community, but also among the nations. Um, it's been a great series. And as I said this a couple weeks ago, it's probably not gonna be the you know, most well-branded series we've ever done, um, but I truly hope it's been helpful. And it's definitely going to be significant as far as where we're headed as a church in January. Um, So if you were not here last week, you have some homework to do. Um, If you weren't here last week, um, I need you to pull up wherever you get your podcast from and search High Point Carrierville and listen to last week's message. Um, It was incredibly significant for where we're headed. We made some announcements about some changes in January. You can find um, a sheet with those on it in the lobby. Um, But we let the word do the work in a lot of ways to figure out and to define what a church is, how it's supposed to function, that it is... um, It is a flock that's led by the chief shepherd. It is a family. It is a body where the members serve one another. 
Um, it's a, the bride of Christ where we are all growing in holiness together, um, but it's also this embassy um, of ambassadors in this foreign land that we live in um, as Christians and citizens of heaven. And we spent a lot of time on each of those metaphors. That's just five of the many metaphors in scripture of the church. Um, and as I said, this series is not gonna be exhaustive in that we're gonna cover everything, um, but I really am praying and our staff's been praying and our elders that it's, it will be significant um, in the life of our church. So search High Point Carville, wherever you find your podcast, you can speed me up if you want to and fly through that message, but I'd love for you to listen to it um, because it is significant to where we're headed. Um, this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna close our series looking biblically at uh, the marks of a healthy church. Uh, we're gonna look at scripture and define uh, what marks a healthy church. So if you're a guest with us, uh, you're welcome to uh, follow along with this. And I would encourage you to take this list home to your church and evaluate the church that you might be attending um, according to this list. Because we all have um, our own preferences, um, our own things that we look for when we attend a church. Um, but the point this morning is to look at scripture and say, okay, what should a healthy church look like? What are the marks um, on a Sunday, throughout the week? What does it look like um, to join a healthy church? That if your church doesn't have these things, um, then it's probably not a healthy church. And uh, I don't say that arrogantly. Like I said, we're pulling these from the scriptures. Uh, we're not all the way there when it comes to these things, but man, are we excited. Um, we started this series stating that we will not define success as a church by how many butts are in the seats or how many dollars are in the bank, but we are defining success according to biblical faithfulness. How faithful are we to God's word and what we teach and how we live and how we structure our church? Um, this is success. Um, if you want to use that term, it is how faithful are we to the scriptures? And, um, we're going to look at that again this morning. And as always in this series, um, <clears throat> one of the things we love to do here at High Point, uh, which is so ironic every time I say this, is we teach passages of scripture, um, a verse at a time, a lot of times a word at a time, um, but for the purpose of this series, we've been kind of looking at scripture as a whole, so we're jumping around a little bit, and we're actually going to talk about that this morning, um, but... If you um, get lost in taking notes, if you just want to not take notes, and if you're type A, do you. But if you just want to not take notes, um, as always in this series, I will airdrop you the notes before you leave if you want them. Um, if you can come down front afterwards or catch me in the lobby, I will give you the notes on your device um, before you leave because it's all coming from Scripture. So um, to kick us off this morning, um, Jimma Lawson is going to read our passage of Scripture. Um, so Jimma, if you want to come on up here. Let's give her a hand, and if you'll stand, <clears throat> here you are, ma'am. If you'll stand for the reading of God's word, um, she is going to read us from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, then I'll pray, and we'll jump in. So whenever you're ready, girl. I charge in the presence of God, Christ Jesus, who is, ju who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his, God, and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You can give her a hand. Amen. Uh, let's pray together before you have a seat. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, God, we thank you that 
your spirit um, gives gifts sovereignly to all, and you did not skip the children. Um, God, that you've blessed our children um, that know you, that have a relationship with you by your spirit, God, that you've given them incredible gifts to serve this body. And uh, it's just a privilege to witness some of those. Um, So God, now as we look at your word, as we um, take a glance, um, God, just at um, what you've called the church to be, how you've called it to function, uh, the marks that you have, um, God, assigned um, to a church. Father, um, God, I just pray that people would um, see you in your word, that they would see these marks straight from your word, and uh, God, ultimately, that you would uh, just give us the wisdom and the courage and the discernment um, to be a church, God, that um, is according to your word. Father, you lead your people by your voice, by your word. Um, So lead us now, once again, um, to the glory of your name alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. All right, so, as I mentioned, Last week, we looked specifically, we kind of double-clicked on the local church. So um, if you are a member of this local church, I would highly encourage you to um, pull that up and listen to it. Um, But we talked about how it is a body, it is a flock, it is a family, it is a bride, um, it's an embassy. And um, it was very, very significant to uh, who we are as a church, where we're going as a church. But this morning, as we look at the marks, I want to ask you, um, what do you think makes a healthy church? What makes a healthy church? Is it the right service time? Is it enough parking? Is it a clean building, clear signage, good marketing, comfortable seats, nice bathrooms, quality instruments and lighting and sound? Is it loud music or soft music or old music or new music? I'm pushing some buttons here as we talk about these things. Is it a lot of announcements or is it no announcements? Is it Good children's programs, but not too good, right? Where it feels like entertainment. And then the pastor. Oh boy, right? Um, You gotta have the right pastor, right? To make a healthy church. Is he personal, but not like too personal where he's weird or is he holy, but not like too holy where, you know, he's fake and it seems like he's, he's, you know, far removed from us. Um, Is he knowledgeable, but not like too knowledgeable though, where every sermon feels like it's seminary. Um, Is he confident, but not like too confident though, where he seems kind of arrogant? Is he compassionate, you know, but not too compassionate where it doesn't feel like he has any convictions? Um, Is he relevant, you know, but we don't want him to be too relevant because then it feels like he's trying to entertain us. Um, Is the sermon deep enough, relevant enough, helpful enough, but also short enough, Um, right? Uh, (laughs) We want all of these things, right? So what makes a healthy church? Um, I kind of make fun at all of those things. None of those were, you know, a subconscious jab or anything like that. Uh, But what's funny about all those things are those are the things that people use to decide if they're gonna commit to a particular church. None of those things are bad inherently, um, but none of those things mark a healthy church. Not a single one of those things. So the point of this morning is for us to define, okay, what marks a healthy church? And as I said, if you're a guest and you just wanna make a note of these or get the notes before you leave, um, I would love for you to take these and evaluate the church that you attend. Um, So put us in these sites this morning. The first one, first mark that we're gonna start with, um, and it is by far the most important, is biblical preaching. Biblical preaching is the first mark of a healthy church. And it's first because if this isn't there, then nothing else matters. If this mark is not there, then nothing else matters. If a church gets this one right, then chances are all of the rest will follow. If they preach the Bible as it is written, if your church keeps a high high regard for God's word, chances are the rest of the marks will follow because all of these marks are straight from scripture. But 
if the church you attend, if this church becomes loose with God's word, if we just pick and choose verses out of it to say what we want it to say, if we you know, read a scripture and then close our Bibles and then I start pacing the stage and say the title of my sermon is and I just give you my wisdom and my ideas and my thoughts for 45 minutes, then we've missed it. If a church gets this one right, they will get the rest right, almost guaranteed. But if a church gets this one wrong and they do not preach God's word as it is written, you can guarantee that they will get the others wrong also. Do not expect much from a church that does not keep a high regard for God's word. What you, as a congregation, should expect every Sunday, and I would go so far as not just say expect, but you should demand, is that you hear from God's word. You do not need to hear a human's wisdom. You do not need to hear my thoughts. You do not need to hear my hot takes, my political takes, my any takes. You, as believers in Jesus, should want to hear from God in his word. And the goal of a pastor and a preacher is to show you Christ in his word and teach God's word as it is written. God leads his people by his word. He saves his people by his word. He sanctifies his people by his word. He guides us by his word. He conforms us to the image of Christ by his word. It's only by God's word that we can rightly know him. It's only by the truth of God's word that we can rightly worship him. So if you are not getting God's word, then chances are you're not going to get the rest of these marks. We want to be a church that rightly preaches and teaches God's word as it is written. And I'll talk about that phrase in just a minute. But the bottom line is, is we either believe that scripture is God's inspired, inerrant, without error, authoritative word for our lives, or we don't. We either believe that this word is sufficient to save us and sanctify us and grow us and mature us in Christ, or we don't. If we do, we will preach it. If we don't, we will try to do something else to keep you in the room. Try to entertain you, try to wow you with charisma, whatever it is. We either believe that as 2 Peter says, in scripture, everything we need for life and godliness is there, or we don't. We either believe, according to John 17, that he sanctifies us by the truth and his word is truth, or we don't. We either believe that if we abide in his word, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free according to John 8, or we don't. We either believe that this word was written by God. It's inspired by God and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the man or the woman of God may be complete and fully equipped for every good work in this life, or we don't. We either believe that this word is a lamp into our feet or a light into our path, or we don't. We either believe that the way we keep our lives pure is to guard it according to his word and that hiding his word in our hearts will keep us from sinning against him or we don't. We either believe that this word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division between soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts or we don't. We either believe that God's word is perfect and as James writes, it is his perfect law that gives freedom or we don't. We either believe that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away, or we don't. We either believe that the grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever according to Isaiah 40, or we don't. We either believe that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, or we don't. We either believe that this word is able to make us wise for salvation according to 2 Timothy 3, that it's the power of God unto salvation according to Romans 1, or we don't. We either believe that this word contains milk for the infant believer and for the children in the room and meat for the mature believer, 
to grow us into maturity in Christ or we don't. We either believe, according to Romans 10, that faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word or we do not. And lastly, according to Psalm 19, we either believe that this word is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true, that it revives the soul, that it makes the simple wise, that it rejoices hearts, that it enlightens eyes, that it endures forever and that it's righteous altogether, or we do not. And if we believe that this is God's word and it is true, we will give you every Sunday God's word and it will grow us and sanctify us and mature us and lead us and guide us and teach us and rebuke us and correct us and grow us all and conform us into the image of Christ. And that should be what you expect every Sunday. Let me show you Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter three. Uh, Gemma just read it for us. Um, She started in chapter four, but I wanna read a couple verses at the end of chapter three and just roll right into chapter four for you for just a second. But um, this is what it says in verse 14 of chapter three. It says, as for you, and this is Paul talking to Timothy, the pastor at the church in Ephesus, he says, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. So continue in the gospel, what you've learned and what you firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and from childhood. So he learned this as a child. He regularly heard the word preached and was taught the word as a child. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings and what's so significant about this word, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, every page in this book is useful and inspired by God and profitable for our lives. Verse 17, so that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And then he rolls right along the next sentence. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Don't miss that charge. Look at all of the the extra that Paul gives on his charge. I charge you, hey, in the presence of God, that God is here amongst us and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, here's your charge, Timothy, preach the word. Don't preach your advice. Don't preach your political opinions. Don't preach your take on cultural ideas. Preach the whole counsel of God. Preach the word as it is written, as it is revealed. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. The preaching of the word. This was Paul's charge to Timothy. Preach the word as it is written. Let the word do the work. Preach the word every season. In season, out of season, always be prepared to teach the word. The preaching of the word is central to the life of a church. If we get this wrong, we will get everything else wrong. We get our doctrine from the word. We structure our leadership according to the word. Our worship comes from the word. The point of the sermon should be the point of the text of scripture, not finding text to to say what we want to say. And as I said earlier, uh, we need to preach the word as it is written. What I mean by that is... um, Every sermon should be exegetical. 
And what I mean by that is this word called, uh, called exegesis, where it's pulling out, the prefix ex uh, means coming out or out from. So it's taking what's written in the text and pulling out what it says, as opposed to us taking what we wanted to say and putting it into a certain text. Every text, every sermon should be exegetical in that we just read the text as it's written and we tell you what it says and what the original author intended for it to mean because this is what God intended for it to say. But I would take it a step further and say that by and large, it doesn't have to be every time because we're not doing it today, um, but a healthy mark of a church is expositional preaching. And expositional is not just exegetical where we pull out what it says, but expositional is we start in verse one and we work our way through a book of the Bible. And our church will be marked by expositional preaching. Now, we will reserve certain times like this if we need to, to define a doctrine or look at ecclesiology and talk about the doctrine of the church and those kind of things. Um, but you need to hear God's word as it was written. God intended for his word to be started in verse one and to be read through till the end of the chapter or the end of the book. Imagine if I wrote a letter to you and you started reading in the third paragraph, right? It, it, it would be slightly helpful you might have a good general idea of what I had to say. Or imagine if you wrote a letter to me and I took your words and I started reading in the fourth paragraph. I might have a good general idea of what you're saying. And a good preacher will give you the context of the first couple of paragraphs before they dive into the fourth. But imagine if I just started taking random sentences out of a letter that you wrote to me. And I just started randomly here and I was like, hey, in this sentence they said this and in that sentence they said this. I could make you say whatever I wanted you to say. And that's the point. That happens in pulpits around the world every single Sunday. And this is the danger, and it's not always this way. You can do topical teaching well, but the danger of topical teaching is we're just cherry picking single verses from single paragraphs and single chapters of different books and slamming them together to say whatever we want them to say. If we're gonna look at a topical sermon, we should pick a paragraph of scripture and give you the context of that paragraph and teach the paragraph as it is written. I would argue that that's okay. But by and large, what should mark a church is we teach books of the Bible because six months from now, a year from now, I want you to be able to pick up the book that we just finished in the new year. We're gonna start working through the book of Galatians. I want you to pick up a book that we just finished a year from now and know how to navigate it yourself to know how to spend time in that book and to teach it to your children, to teach it to your neighbors, to teach it to your coworkers. One of the beauties of, um, I did a, a short stint um, in our young adults ministry and uh, one of the best seasons of ministry I've ever had, just incredible people um, at our young adults ministry at High Point. And um, we walked through the book of Jonah and um, we taught Christ in the book of Jonah. We'll talk about that in just a minute, that we're preaching Christ from every book and every text. But um, one of the beauties of that series was um, two months later, we're in St. Louis for a conference, not St. Louis, we were in Louisville for a conference, and one of our young adults looked at me and said, hey, um, I just wanted to say thanks, and you know, he wasn't really, like God gets the glory and all those kind of things, but he just said thanks for, for walking us through that book, because um, I went home for the holidays and I s sat with my grandma, and I mentioned the book of Jonah and she said, oh, I love that book about the whale and all those kind of things. And he got to stop and say, look, grandma, I know that you love the whale and those kind of things, but the whale's mentioned in two verses and the book's really about Christ. And uh, let me show you and got to present the gospel to his grandmother, um, who was an unbeliever um, through the book of Jonah. That's why we teach books of the Bible 
so that you can rightly handle God's word on your own. The point is never that you would be dependent on the preacher, which is another sign. If, if you can only grow when you listen to a specific preacher, hey, I just, when I pick up the Bible, it doesn't really make sense. But when I listen to this guy, man, does he have the charisma and he has the power and he has all the words, then that pastor is not helping you, he is hurting you. If he is not teaching you to see truth in God's word and getting your eyes and your nose in this book where you can see them for yourselves, then he's not helping you, although it might feel like it. And you might feel good when you listen to one of his sermons, but he's actually hindering you because rightful preaching and teaching is showing you truths in the word and helping you see them for yourselves as it's written in the word. So uh, we wanna be a church that preaches the word as it is written. First Corinthians two says this, it says, when I came to you brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom And then Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing else, no lofty words, no fancy speech. I only brought you Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not a plausible wisdom or words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And boy, do we miss that last statement. That pastors that think that the word of God is not sufficient enough to save you. So they have to close their Bibles and try to inspire you with their own hype, their own motivation, their own words, their own passion are not helping you. They are hindering you. And it's actually not because they trust the word of God. They actually don't. Because if we trust the word of God, we will present it to you as it is written and give it to you as it is written. And trust that the spirit of God inspired the word of God and the spirit of God is in us and it will illumine the truth of God to the people of God by the word of God. Does that make sense? So um, there's a man named Hughes Oliphant Old and he wrote like a seven volume work on preaching. And uh, I don't have time to read a bunch of quotes from it, um, but one of the quotes, and whether you like John MacArthur or not is fine, um, but he has a quote on John MacArthur that I wanna read to you um, because it it gets the point across that I really wanna make. And he says this, this is his quote um, about John MacArthur. He says, MacArthur's rhetoric is terribly out of date. Great start to a quote, right? But maybe he knows something the rest of us don't. Why do so many people listen to MacArthur? This product of all the wrong schools, he can pack out a church on a Sunday morning in an age in which church attendance has seriously lagged. Here is a preacher, this gets even better, who knows nothing in the way of a winning personality, good looks, or charm, right? Here is a preacher who offers us nothing in the way of sophistical homiletical packaging, No one would suggest that he's a master of the art of oratory, but then he says this, what he seems to have is a witness to true authority. He recognizes in scripture, the word of God. And when he preaches, it is scripture that one hears. It is not the words of John MacArthur, it is not that the words of John MacArthur are so interesting as it is that the word of God is of surpassing interest. That is why one listens. Because the man gives his church the word of God every single week. And that's what they long to hear. That's what they desire. That's what they treasure. And that's what they expect from him. And that's our prayer for this church is that regardless of who gets up here is that they're not weighed by their personality. They're not weighed by their charisma. They're not weighed by their speaking ability. What you weigh them on is, did you give us God's word? Did you rightly handle it and divide it for the people of God on a Sunday morning? Does that make sense? Uh, Martin Luther was asked, 
If you know about Martin Luther, just led the Protestant Reformation, um, changed church as we know it. The reason we worship the way we do is because of Martin Luther. Um, He was asked, you know, looking back at the Reformation, um, how did you do it? And his response was, I did nothing. The word of God did everything. That was his response. It was the word of God that did everything. And it's the word of God that will grow this church, lead this church, guide this church, mature this church, govern this church and evangelize this community. It is the word of God that our city and our world and our town need. So that's number one. And we spent the most time on number one. We're gonna fly through the rest because if we get this one right and we preach the word of God as it is written, we will get the others right. Particularly the second one, which is sound doctrine. That we live in a day where sound doctrine is being attacked and questioned and challenged over and over and over again. And we just read um, that that time is coming is what Paul told Timothy. And I would just go ahead and tell you the time's here. (laughs) The time's here. Sound doctrine is being questioned. And if we preach the word of God as it is written, our doctrine will be sound. But Titus 1 says this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Titus 2, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 4, we just read it. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That time is here, church. The world is constantly attacking truth, what truth is, where it comes from, the doctrine of who God is, the doctrine of creation, the sanctity of human life, marriage, human sexuality. Pick a doctrine, it's being challenged by the world. And unless we preach the word of God as it is written, we will not hold on to sound doctrine. One of the metaphors Um, of the church that scripture uses is the pillar and buttress of the truth, which is why we didn't teach on it because it uses the word buttress and it was just take a long time to explain. But the, the church is the pillar of the truth that we would uphold God's truth. We would preach God's truth. We would not budge on God's truth. And the church historically has always been marginalized and attacked and persecuted because they hold fast to the truth of God's word. And the beauty is God has always sustained his church And in those seasons when the church is marginalized, ironically, it's when it thrives the most. As we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, as we saw in so many of our sermons recently, um, as we saw in the parable of the sower, how do you know what's real? You heat it up. And the persecution and love of the world and the attacks from the world and from the culture will either expose the fake and it will solidify and reveal the truth. It just will. And the church should uphold sound doctrine. If we miss this, then we miss everything. But if we preach God's word, we will get doctrine right. And we wanna teach God's word, the easy parts to believe, the difficult parts to believe, and everywhere in between. Because we can trust that God's word is good and it is beneficial to our lives. The third one is the gospel and gospel centrality. The gospel. The gospel should be preached every single week. It doesn't matter what we're preaching. It doesn't matter where we're preaching. It doesn't matter what passages we're preaching. You should hear the gospel every single week. It doesn't matter where we are, what passage we're in, what book we're in. If we don't preach the gospel, we missed it. If you have the courage 
to invite an unbeliever, if you have the courage to invite one of your lost neighbors, if you have the courage to invite one of your lost coworkers, one, our prayer is that you would share the gospel with them. But if you wanna start by just inviting them to our church and experiencing our church family, then you should have full confidence that whether it's Flag Day, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, doesn't matter what day it is, that they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hear these message of the saving power of God to redeem and save sinners because of the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what day, you should hear it. We see all over scripture this claim. Peter preached Christ in Acts 2, straight from the Old Testament. Stephen preached Christ in Acts 7. Paul in so many places says that he only preached Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, we preached Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. 2 Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves and your servants for Jesus' sakes. Colossians 1, him we proclaim, being Jesus, warning warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ that Paul always preached Christ. But here's what's fascinating. Paul also says in Acts 20, verse 27, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So how in the world can Paul say that, hey, I only preach Christ, but at the same time, I preach the whole thing. I preach to you the whole counsel of God. How do you reconcile those? Is no matter where Paul preached from, he preached Christ that you can preach Christ from every page in the Bible. And we should preach Christ from every page in the Bible. And I wanna be clear, not every page in scripture, not every passage points to Jesus in the same way. Sometimes they anticipate and show our need for Jesus. Sometimes it is an Old Testament type or shadow of Jesus. Sometimes it's a prophecy about Jesus. Sometimes they reveal Jesus. Sometimes they explain what Jesus has done. But every single passage of scripture, you can get to Jesus Christ from, and we should. Paul said he preached the whole counsel of God, but he also said he only preached Christ. And we should do the very same thing. Jesus told us that the entire Bible is about him. John 5. 39, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but it's they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says, in beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. That regardless of where we are in the scriptures, we should be teaching Christ. If you have the courage to invite a Muslim, to invite a Hindu, to invite um, an atheist, they should be in some way offended by our sermon. And we want to be charitable in all things. We want to be kind in all things. But we want to to preach that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That he is the salvation that they are looking for. He's the Messiah as he is revealed in the scriptures. And our goal, as I said that, is not to offend anybody, but we want to preach Jesus Christ as he's revealed in every passage of scripture, that you should hear the gospel every single week. And to give you a general summary, in the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the gospels, we see Jesus revealed. In Acts, we see Jesus proclaimed. In the epistles, we see Jesus explained. And in Revelation, we see Jesus expected to return but he's everywhere in the scriptures. We aren't preaching religion. We aren't interested in this game where you show up and I give you three tips to be a better 
person every single week and you go out and you try those three tips and you fail at them, but we all come back and we act like we did them great and give me three more, pastor. We're not interested in that game. From every passage of scripture, we want to get you to the gospel. Maturing in Christ is growing in our knowledge of the gospel and our dependence on the gospel. When I sin this week, it's not because I needed three points from the sermon to obey. It's because I forgot the gospel. I forgot that my significance is in Christ or my security is in Christ, my satisfaction is in Christ. And I went and tried to find those things in the world instead of in the gospel. So for us to grow in our maturity, for us to grow in sanctification is more knowledge of the gospel, is hearing the gospel in every passage, is being reminded of the gospel, is preaching the gospel to ourselves and is depending on the gospel in every single area of our lives. Because there's areas of my life where I trust the gospel in a lot more than in some other areas, if that makes sense. There are some areas in our lives, finances, for example. I just know that if you're gonna be in ministry, you trust God with your finances, right? It is not an occupation that you join to be rich. And it is one of those where I just trust God with our finances, that he's gonna take care of us. And it's not like we're careless or irresponsible or anything like that, but we just know we're gonna trust God. But there's other areas of my life where I struggle to depend on the gospel. I do. Preaching might be one of those where I can stand up and instead of trusting that what defines me is not how well the feedback is from a Sunday morning, but what defines me is what Jesus Christ has done for me. I struggle with that weekly. I get 10 compliments and one criticism and guess what I'm listening to for the rest of the week? Same thing you would listen to. And it's because I forgot the gospel. It's not because of what happened. It's because I forgot that, hey, what happens here on a Sunday is really important but it, it describes me, it does not define me. What defines me is what Jesus has done for me. And Lord willing, as I make mistakes, I hope and pray that you correct me and you're not afraid of that comment. We're always gonna be upset that I gave some feedback. No, give the feedback because your feedback doesn't define me and I need to hear it. Does that make sense? So there are all areas of our lives where we trust the gospel in and more than others and spiritual maturity is trusting the gospel in every area of our lives. When I sin, it's because I forgot my identity, my significance, my security, my satisfaction, all in the finished work of Jesus. Not because I forgot the third point of last week's sermon. Someone tell me a point from a sermon you've heard in the last month, right? You just can't. Which is another thing that we'll talk about um, later. Uh, my mind's racing, we need to jump back in. But we're gonna preach the gospel every week. We're gonna preach the word as it's written. We're still gonna obey the commands in scripture. One of the dangers of gospel centrality is we read a passage of scripture and we go, ooh, man, those commands are hard, but good thing Jesus obeyed it for us. All right, good luck. We'll come back next week. No, Peter, Paul, the writers of scripture intended for their commands to be obeyed. And we're gonna be a church that obeys them, but it's not obedience to win God's favor. It's not obedience to try to win his approval. It's from all of those things. We don't obey for God to love us. We obey because he already has and he already does in Christ. So now we're not trying to do all these things to save ourselves. We are obeying and holding a high regard for God's law and his commands. Why? Because he already has saved us. Not because of our ability to obey them, but because we can't. And Jesus obeyed them in our place. So now we obey. We're not climbing a ladder. We're embracing a cross. And we obey God's word because of the cross. Not so that we will get the cross. We're not trying to win his favor, we already have it. We're not preaching at your hands, we wanna preach at your heart. We want the gospel to be the motivation for you to obey every command in scripture. 
And we can give you a couple points for your hands every week or we can preach to your heart. And when your heart changes, your hands and your behavior will change. But we want you to hear the gospel every single week. So number four is prayer. If we truly believe God's the one who grows the church, sustains the church, builds his church, then we will be a church that prays. If God is the only one who can save a heart, who can bring the dead to life, who can sanctify us, who can grow us, we can preach, we can teach, but unless the spirit moves and awakens us to the truth and illumines our hearts to it and sanctifies us, then we better be a praying church. We're commanded to do this all over scripture. Jesus said in Matthew that his house would be a house of prayer. Matthew 21, we won't read all of 1 Timothy, but after Paul gives his introduction in chapter one to Timothy, remember it's Paul writing to a young pastor. The first thing he says in 1 Timothy 2 is, first of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. And the rest of the paragraph is that you would be a praying church, that Timothy would be a praying pastor, that his church would be a praying church. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. This command was written to a church, to a people, not a place, not a brand, to a group of believers. Continue to pray, keep praying. James 5, James was writing to all of these, he uses the phrase, the tribes and the dispersion. He's writing to all these groups of believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. And he tells them to confess their sins to one another and pray for one another. This is the one, one of the one another's that was written to the church that we would do this with one another. If you ever notice in Matthew 6, when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, notice that all of the pronouns are in the first person plural. It's written to a group of believers that he tells them to pray our Father who art in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you notice it's in, it's in a communal setting? It's written to a group of believers that we would be praying these things together. God, make your name great, make your kingdom come, make your will be done and forgive us as a group of believers, as we forgive one another, that this was written to a group of believers, but that we would be a praying church. If we don't do this, then we've missed it. Satan loves prayerless preaching, prayerless Bible studies, prayerless churches, but he will tremble when we pray because God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. And if we don't be a church, not a building, not a brand, but a people that are dependent on God's power to move amongst us as we preach his word and sing his word and rebuke one another in his word and care for one another according to his word, then we've missed it. So we have to be a praying church. Number five, we talked about this a lot last week, so we won't dive into it too much, is biblical membership and authentic community. We spent a lot of time last week talking about membership, why you should join a local church, why does it matter, why it's not a country club, why it's actually the opposite of a country club. A country club is you give your money and then you're served. A church is you give your money and then you serve with your life. And you're not serving a brand, you're not serving a building, you're serving the members of this body. Monday to Saturday is that we would be an authentic community where we know who's in our midst, we know who we're accountable to unto the Lord, you know who's committed to love you and serve you and care for you and use their gifts to help you, and that we would truly be a family. And if I'm gonna give an account, if our elders are gonna give an account to the Lord, that we would know who he's entrusted into our care and you would know who's committed to you and that as new families join our church, that we would bring them down front starting in January 
And you don't have to give a speech. You don't have to say anything, but we're gonna introduce you to our church body and say, church, this family has committed to love you and serve you as a, as a member of this body. And will you renew your commitment to this family? And we will have a family moment in each of our services that we have new families join where we can all be reminded that a local church is a group of people who are committed to one another, to be and to do all that a church is and does, to care for one another and practice all of the one another's in scripture. But that we would build and work to have an authentic community. And like I said, we talked a lot about that last week, pulled plenty of texts out for the sake of time. We're gonna keep going. The sixth one is discipleship and spiritual growth that we would be a church that makes disciples. It is the command that God gave his church before he ascended into heaven. Go and make disciples of all nations. That we would do that here, that we would contribute to the discipleship amongst the nations, but we would work for and labor to help you learn to follow Jesus, be formed by Jesus, fist for Jesus, to how to pray to Jesus, how to study God's word, that we would teach you how to be a learner and follower of Jesus that can teach others how to be a learner and follower of Jesus that it would be a priority in our church, how to follow Jesus, how to pray, how to read the Bible, what sound doctrine is, how to evangelize, how to articulate the gospel and to teach you how to teach others to do the same things. But we would be a church that teaches you how to follow Jesus. And we would do that by teaching you, by evangelizing and baptizing all of the, the whole counsel of God that if you are in a church, if you're in this church and you don't feel like you are growing in your knowledge of the gospel, growing in your knowledge of God's word, if you are not spiritually maturing, if you're not learning how to follow Jesus more, then chances are you'd probably need to find another church. But that we would prioritize discipleship. And we're really praying that in January, that as we move into the season where we've got men around the word together and women around the word together and students around the word together and kids around the word together and foundations and all these kind of things that we talked about, they're on the flyer, um, that this would be the place where you would find those discipleship relationships. That you would look at somebody in your circle who's got his Bible open and might be, he or she might be a little further along than you in God's word and say, hey, would you grab lunch with me? Would you grab coffee with me regularly and teach me what you know about Jesus? Show me how to follow Jesus more as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, that we would all begin to sharpen one another and develop intentional discipleship relationships moving forward. So, should be a priority in a church. Number seven, evangelism and missions. Um, That we are working always to advance the gospel here, where God has us and far where God has sent others, so that the great great commission will be accomplished near and far. Um, As we read, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, and then Paul was gone. We won't read it, but in Romans 15, I would encourage you to mark it, read it later, Romans 15, 20 through 26. Paul says that I'm going where the gospel has not been named. He says, Timothy, you're here. There's no more work for me to do here. Why? Because you're here. You can do the work of evangelist here. I'm out. I'm going to Spain. People there don't know the gospel. And Paul takes off. And we wanna be a church that does the work of an evangelist here in Carrierville, but also funds ministry and supports missionaries and churches that are doing the work to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we've got great partnerships here in our church. We're praying. One of the things we're navigating as we move into the season of our church is that God would put different ministries and burdens on your heart. And that we as a church would just come around where God is working in our body around the nations and we would support those ministries that he has put on the hearts of our people in our church. 
to fund the gospel going to the nations. Um, Number eight, we talked about this a lot last week when we looked at the flock, but biblical leadership and governance. We discussed this last week, but the biblical model of the church is not that it would be led by one man that makes all the decisions and has all the power and all the authority. That was never the case. Everywhere that Paul plants a church, he tells Timothy to raise up elders. He equips a pastor. He tells him to raise up elders. And the word elders in the scripture is always in the plural. It's always multiple men. Everywhere you see a church formed, elders are raised up to lead the body and to keep the the pastor and the leaders accountable. That we all need this, that I need people to keep me from sin and keep me from myself. And we have great men in our church that do that. But a biblical elder is not simply an older male. It's not simply someone involved in the community. It's not simply a successful businessman. A biblical elder is not someone who knows how to manage people or raise money or climb the ladder or close the deal because a church is not a nonprofit to be managed. It's a people to be shepherded. And a biblical elder is someone who cares about and feels called to and aspires to, as he meets the qualifications in scripture, to shepherd a church, not a building, not a brand, but a people, to care for them, to teach them according to the word, to guide them, to be an example to them, and to watch over their souls. We spent a lot of time on that last week, and the last one, as we'll end this morning, is the last mark of a healthy church is that they regularly practice the the sacraments or the ordinances. That all throughout scripture, God has always had signs and symbols to set his people apart and to mark them as holy unto himself. That in the Old Testament, there were signs of the covenant, that upon entry to the covenant, if you were a male, you would be circumcised. That there was one sign that was upon entrance and there was another sign that all of the members of the covenant would participate in regularly which was the Sabbath, that they would keep the Sabbath every single week. The New Testament, Jesus, praise God, instituted new signs of the covenant, that there would be signs that the new covenant people, that the church of Jesus Christ in our time would obey regularly. One would be upon entrance into the covenant community, which is baptism, that Jesus commands believers that when you put your faith in Jesus to be baptized, And if you've not been baptized, but you're a believer in Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about being obedient to that command. But one is upon entrance to the covenant. One is identifying yourself with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and baptism. That only happens once on the other side of your conversion. And then there would be another one that believers participate in on a regular basis. Jesus doesn't give a specific time frame. He says as often as you do this, but the implication would be that it would be often, right? but that we would participate in the covenant, we would remember the covenant, we would proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, but there would be an ongoing sign for his church to show and to reveal that they are the part of the covenant believers, the covenant community of God. And it would be communion or the Lord's Supper. So just like in the Old Testament, Jesus has now instituted these signs that the church, not the building, not the brand, but the people of God would practice. One upon entrance, identifying with Jesus, and one ongoing to remember and to continue to participate in the covenant that he has purchased for us by his blood. So what we're gonna do as we end the series and as we end our sermon this morning is we are going to practice as a church this covenant sign of the Lord's Supper. And if you're a believer, um, you should have gotten one of the cups. And uh, I was given one and it did not make it up here this morning, but uh, 
Um, I'll grab one in just a second. We've got some uh, elders and ushers around. They'll gra- grab you one. Thanks, Chris. Um, we've got one of these. Chris needs another one now. Um, We've got some folks, and I wanna say this. If you are not a believer, children in the room, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, we're actually gonna ask you not to take this. And we have a lot of respect for that. You're, you're not missing out on anything. In fact, you're actually obeying scripture by not participating in this if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But it's an awesome conversation for you to have with your parents about why we do this. These are for believers in Jesus. There's nothing special about the juice or the bread, but it is a symbol and it is a sign that Jesus instituted for his followers to remember that his body was broken in the symbol of the bread and his blood was shed for us in the symbol of the juice. And as we participate in this, it is us participating in the body broken and blood of Jesus shed for us to cover our sins. So as we said, if you're not a believer, we would encourage you not to participate. In fact, I'm about to read, um, Paul would highly encourage you not to participate in the signs of the covenant. And we talk about the blessings of the covenant. There's also covenant curses for those who take it in an unworthy manner. So we love you enough and care about you enough to say, hey, don't take this. But it is no, there's nothing unique or divine about the juice and the bread. It's actually not as tasteful as you would think, but it is an important symbol and sign for believers of Jesus for all time since the Lord's Supper, that we would remember that his body was broken for us to be a part of the community of God, to be a part of the family of God, to have fellowship with him, that all of this came at a cost. And the good news of the gospel this morning is it was a cost that neither one of us had to pay, that we deserve to pay the cost. We deserve to die for our sins. And Jesus paid that cost for us. God looked down on sinful humanity, knowing that they could never be good enough to work their way up to him. So God stepped out of heaven and came down to earth and met his own standard in our place. And my cross and your cross that we should have borne for our sins, Jesus said, I'll go to that cross. I'll live the life they could never live and I will die the death that they deserve to die so that they could have my righteousness, I'll take on their sin. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. He took on our sin so that we could have his righteousness and his holiness and we stop and we remember and we proclaim what he's done by taking these elements. We participate once again in the covenant that Jesus Christ has instituted for us. So let me read this to you. I'll actually start in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because I want us to to stop and examine ourselves. Paul says this, he said, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body of the blood, the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats, uh, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. And in Corinth, there was all sorts of shenanigans going on at the Lord's Supper People were consuming too much. People were treating it as just another dinner. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Examine yourself. Remember what Jesus has done for you and take it in a worthy manner. So what we wanna do is just take a couple minutes and give you time, if you're a believer in Christ, to examine yourself and just ask the Lord, hey, if there's any unrepentant sin in my life, if there's any sin that I've just grown complacent with, any sin that I'm just plotting and planning to, to entertain, Lord, would you reveal it to me? Would I repent of it? Would I confess it before you? This is a great time for you to pray as a couple or pray as a family, moms, dads, if you wanna lead your family in a time of prayer. And if you're an unbeliever, we would just ask that you would consider the cross of Christ. You would consider the holiness of God, the sinfulness of humanity. You fit right in if you're a sinner in this room. 
None of us are taking this because we're holy. We're taking it because he has given us his holiness and his righteousness. But if you would just take a couple minutes and consider the cross of Christ, and maybe after the service you wanna talk to me or talk to one of our elders, we'd love to share the gospel with you even further and answer some of the questions that you might have. But take a minute and examine yourself, and then I'll lead us as one family, one body, one church um, to take these elements together. As we prepare to take the bread, this thing can be confusing, so just make sure you see that there's a little film on top of your cup there. Uh, But Paul says this, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Then Paul goes on to say, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the the cup together. Paul says, for as often as you do this, as you partake of this sign of the covenant, For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we examine ourselves, we remember what he's done, and we proclaim that Jesus Christ is saving sinners through his body broken and his blood shed. And that gospel is available to anyone who might receive it by faith, just like we have. So as we close this morning, if you've got questions about the gospel, if you've got questions about Jesus, We've got some incredible staff, church. We've been blessed with some incredible elders. We've got some awesome men who would love to share the gospel with you and talk to you and care for your soul and shepherd your family in any way possible. Um, But before we close, um, I'm going to read this benediction and then Callie, uh, Gemma's sister, is gonna come up here and pray to close us and close out our service. And after she prays, you'll be dismissed. But if you'll stand, uh, let me read this to you. As a benediction, as we close our series on the church, we'll jump into an Advent study next week. Um, but as, you, uh, as we close this series, I just wanna read this to you. This is the end of the book of Acts uh, chapter two. Um, you'll notice a lot of the marks that we talked about in this passage, and this is what we're praying for as a church. Um, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, we wanna be a people who devote ourselves to the rightful preaching of God's word, to the fellowship, to a community, to be a family, to break bread with one another, to practice the marks of a healthy church, um, to the glory of God. 
And we pray that you would consider joining along with us um, if you haven't. But Callie's gonna close us in prayer. And then when she's done, you're dismissed. Dear God, thank you for the, the trees, the fruit we eat, and the drinks we drink. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you for everything you've ever given us. Thank you for the sky. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the for for defeating sin. Thank you for forgiving us when we sinned. Amen.